This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Hey, would you open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 10? While you're going there, I want to tell you about a little story that uh, has been around for a long time about a lion, and a lion that had lived in a cage his whole life. Now, if the lion has been in the cage his whole life, that means he has had uh, no experience in the wild at all. His natural habitat is the cage, born and raised in a cage. So that's his natural habitat. So the question, conduit kids, if that's his natural habitat, why do they lock the cage? I mean, if he's born in captivity, he should be a tame lion, right? Except that written into his code, into the DNA of who that lion is, is the knowledge that he doesn't belong in there. He was made for something bigger. He was made for what is out there, not in here. And in our society, our world, we have this proclivity to think that I'm in this job and it's a cage. And I'm just wandering around. If I could just get a better job, then I'll be free and all we got was a better paying cage. Right? I, this, this house is so small, it's closing in on me. And so I moved to Williamson County so I could buy a big one. And now I have a bigger cage. And wondering, why do I still feel like I'm in a cage? And Romans 10 is the promise that your house, your life, that's not the cage. The cage is the story that you are living in. The, the story that you are living in a part of if it is not the story of righteousness by faith, then it is a cage. Romans 10 actually lays it out and says there's, there's two stories that you can live by. One of them says, righteousness by faith says this. Righteousness by works says this. Those are the two stories that you can live in. And you might say, you know, if you've been to therapy or counseling, and many of you have, that's, what are they going to say? Tell me the facts? No, they're going to say, tell me your story. And in your story, they're looking for clues of what your story is. And you might have abandonment, rejection, fear of rejection. There's all, those stories are all there, but there is a story that lies underneath all of those stories that is a salvation by works, a righteousness by works. And I'll explain to you in a few minutes why that is. But this King James, NIV, Christian-y language is actually accurate and reflective of your life on Monday, just like it is on Sunday. So the two stories that he unfolds for us here, he says, Moses writes, he's writing the story that righteousness, verse 5, about uh, this is what Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. The righteousness by the law, righteousness just simply means I'm, I want to be okay. 
not, not right, like right in, I want to be right about this information. I want to be right, meaning I'm accepted, that I am righteous, that I am okay. And at the core of all of us, isn't that, if we're in the youngest age, we just want to know that we're okay. And righteousness by the law, if I'm going to do that by earning it, by working for it, by being right to be made right, it's a treadmill. And I've spent some time on a treadmill. Now, I know you could look at my body and think, you might want to spend a little bit more, Darren. But you spend a lot of time on a treadmill and get nowhere. And righteousness by works, if you, what does he say here? The person who does that lives by that. If you walk on the treadmill, you live by the treadmill. And the second story is a story that is righteousness by faith. And what does that, verse 8, what does that story tell? That the word is near you. It is in your mouth. That word right there uh, for the word is the word rhema which speaks there's a young lady named Rama up here who just got engaged yesterday. <laughs> Rama speaks of this word, for this fresh word from God. The word is near you, it is in your mouth, it is in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The story of righteousness by faith is that because he was right, I am made right. And this is very important, and we're going to see, and I'm going to show you why now. Because there, in our world, there's the false story, there's the true story. And Romans 10 unfolds all of this, the false story, the true story. And then I want to show you how it applies to your story. The false story is that story of righteousness by works. And look, there's a lot of us in here that have lived by a story that we have really worked hard at, and in some weird way it works for us, and it's exhausting to us. But that story leads us on a treadmill of exhaustion, and you can do it zealously. In fact, some of the people that I know that have some of the most, the, like the wrongest story about our lives and our hearts, you work the hardest for it. You're zealous. And he makes a case here, by the way, that that's what happened to Israel. Now, the first eight chapters of Romans, we talked about chapters one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, was the chapters of salvation by faith. Grace, saved by grace. That's literally the entire first eight chapters is the story of salvation. And chapters 12 through the end, 16, you're going to see is a story of uh, what that, now what does that mean? How does that play out in our lives? And we're going to get to that. But chapters 9, 10, and 11 is this, it's almost like, did he drop in this like paid commercial break for Israel? Like he just takes what seems like a left turn and he's talking about Israel for three chapters. But it's not an interruption of the gospel. It is central to the gospel. Because these promises that he speaks of were initially made to a man named Abraham. And so he's saying to the Jewish people reading this, saying to the Gentiles reading this, that God is not done with Israel with the nation, with the people, the genetic bloodline of Abraham. I'm not done with them. And so Romans 9 actually speaks of Israel's past. We spoke of that the last couple of weeks. It's the sovereignty of 
God, that he was moving on behalf of Israel even when they didn't know it. And then chapter 10 is where we are this week is Israel's present. This is what's going on with Israel right now. And then Romans 11 is about Israel's future. Saying that, look, I'm a promise maker and I'm a promise keeper. And this is important because if God could break a promise to Abraham, how could we ever know that he wouldn't break a promise to you? And I've said it before, and I know it's cheesy, but if it's true for the Jew, it's true for you. Did anybody make that bumper sticker yet? Because I haven't gotten any checks. I've been looking for royalties, but no. If, if, if we know that God will keep his promise to Israel, we know he can keep his promise to us. And when it didn't look like he's keeping his promise to Israel, we know that he's going to keep his promise to us. He hasn't forgotten it. This is not an interruption. And so the point of that and bringing that up here is that what's going on with Israel presently, chapter 10, is that Israel is still living in a story that is about saving themselves through the work that they are doing. And if you go to Israel, probably many of you have been, but you go on, on, a, on a Shabbat, and you get on an elevator. Anybody know about the Shabbat elevators? Anybody? The Shabbat, yeah, there we go. Shalom, y'all. You get on the Shabbat elevator, their law says you can't work on the Sabbath, Shabbat, so there's no buttons. You can't push the buttons on it. It's like some kid went on there and just, you know how you get, how annoying it is when some kid hits all the buttons on the hall, you gotta stop on every floor? That's every Shabbat on an elevator in Israel. Now, I think, don't they have the Gentile elevators, like where you can actually turn your own buttons? But, but for the most part, you're stuck on an elevator that's gonna, because they don't want to push the buttons. Silly, but, but they can't work. And so they have got 613 laws that they're trying to fill. And one of them is that you can't push buttons on an elevator. The coffee machines, the coffee had to be made the day before because something about the spark in the fire of a switch looked like work, and so you can't have coffee pre-made. And, and on and on and on it goes. And they're zealous about it. He said, they were zealous about this. They're sincere. But how many of you know that you can be sincere and sincerely wrong? And they're working their way to salvation. They're working their way here to bring Christ down. It says, if you could ascend high enough that you could bring Christ down, if you descend low enough, this is the story, the false story of righteousness by works. If you descend low enough, then you can bring Christ up again. And he's saying neither one of those are going to work because that's the story of righteousness by works. Now, it's fun to say that about Israel because it doesn't, I, I'm good, I'm a Christian. I live in Williamson County. I live in Middle Tennessee. And I know for you folks that have just moved here from the West Coast, uh, you may not know this yet, but you have moved to the most overchurched and undergospeled place on the planet. Not, not this, other churches, not us, uh, of course, other people, but uh, you know what I'm saying? Because we have, in Middle Tennessee, been blessed so much. But when you're blessed like this, you can start to say things like the first thing you ask when you meet somebody is, hey, where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? And you know why you ask that? Because everybody goes to church. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that at all. 
But if where you go to church, if going to church is your point, it's great. Glad you're here, honestly. But it's not the main point. You can go to church your whole life and never, ever encounter the gospel, never encounter the grace of God. Francis Chan says that our greatest fear ought not to be of failure, but it ought to be of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. And overchurched, under-gospeled people have a real proclivity towards succeeding at things that don't really matter. And my invitation this morning for you as, as Jesus' people is to step out of the wrong story. See, the wrong story in religion is, I didn't get what I prayed for, so I'm going to pray harder. Is that grace or is that works? I'm tithing, paying 10% every, every, it's like a light bill, so that I can be blessed. Is that grace or is that works? There's all kinds of things we can do that are not bad things and miss the gospel right in front of us. When we do these amazing things out of the gospel, out of grace, oh, it's so different. But it's so easy to slip into, I'm just doing them and I'm punching my clock and I'm doing my thing. I think a lot of what happened in the last year when a lot of people fell away from churches because of COVID and those things, many had good health reasons, all those things, but there were many that they were churched, but they weren't gospeled. And we pray for them. There's no shame in that at all. There's just a prayer to say, man, that the eyes of their hearts would be open to the true story because this false story will hang them out to dry. Now, in a story, uh, a guy named Don Miller wrote a book recently called Hero on a Mission. And I know that people have opinions about Don's theology and all that stuff, but let's, let's put all that aside and just acknowledge that what he's saying is that in any good, the best stories, like the greatest stories, there are four main characters. There's the victim, the villain, the hero, and the guide. Those are the four characters, and if you think about it, that's pretty much every, that's Tommy Boy, that's Star Wars, it's Harry Potter. Like every story, you, you find those four types of characters. Now, in his book, the premise is, is you figure out which character you're supposed to be, and it's fine. It's, it's a great book. And, but in the eyes of the gospel, what really intrigued me about this, we as humans, by the way, process everything by stories. Jesus knew this. Mark 4.34 says, I, by a parable he taught them, without a parable he never taught them. He taught with stories. Because he knew that that's how we would remember, that's how we would process, and that's how we would order our lives around. And so when you hear a parable, you've been around our church for a while, you know that I would say that in a parable, you better know who you are in the story so that it will maximally impact the story that God has for you. Now, one of the most famous stories, we don't have time, so you don't have to turn there, but write it down and go later, in Luke chapter 10 is the story of the Good Samaritan. Does everybody remember this story? Uh, the, the brief overview that uh, a man is uh, beaten by robbers and he's left on a road, the road to Jericho, and uh, along comes a priest and he doesn't have time to help him. The Levite comes, he doesn't help him, and along comes a good Samaritan and he helps him. And Jesus says, you know, go and do likewise. And so, so in that story, there are 
four characters, right? Four kinds of characters. You get the villain. If, if this is a great story, like Don Miller says, there should be a villain, a victim, a hero, and a guide. Now, if this, let's, let's put it this way. If this story is a story of salvation by works, okay, then this is what the characters would look like. The victim would be the, uh, the man beaten on the side of the road, okay? The hero, uh, the villain, I'm sorry, would be the robbers. The hero would be the good Samaritans. But so what are the Levites? What are, what's the Levite? What's the priest? See, in the, in the story of works, saved by works, we look at that and say, we have to be like the good Samaritan. We have to be the ones going and picking up those who are broken on the side of the road. We have to set up ministries to help the poor and the oppressed. And you know it, if you don't, you've not been around here, that's very important to our church. A million dollars is going to that very thing. But is that the story of works? If I'm now supposed to try to copy and do Jesus's ministry for him? In the story of grace, because by the way, there's no guide in that story, and there's no place for the Levi and the priest. Now, if this is a story of the gospel, if this is a story of righteousness by grace, the victim, the man beaten in the side of the road, the uh, villain is... uh, uh, the villain is the robbers. Like, but when you get into the Good Samaritan, who is the Good Samaritan in that? It's Jesus, not me. No, I'm the one on the side of the road. I'm the one beaten and ble- like bleeding, the one whom the Good Samaritan poured in the oil and the wine and brought me back to life. And if you go in and read there, it actually says that he, as he brought him to the inn, he says to the innkeeper, I'll pay for everything. And when I come back, if there's anything else left, I'll pay for that too. Doesn't that sound like the story of Jesus? So in the story of Jesus, the Levites and me and the priest, we all, none of us are the villain in this story. We are the one on the side of the road that wants to be brought out, that wants to be healed and saved. And once we are brought out of that, where does that guy go from the end? Where do you and I go once we've been brought back to life by Jesus with the oil and the wine? We become the guide. See, if this is a story of the gospel, then all four characters are present. The guide works with the hero. The guide goes, and that's what Romans 10 tells us that our job is, is to go and to bring the good news. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Our job is to work with the hero, not be the hero. In the story of salvation by grace, there's a hero, but you ain't him. Now, we're the guide that works with the hero. We're the one that was pulled off of the side of the road, and we are pulled out of that forever. And I'll say this, and it's the last thing I'll say about salvation by works. There are no heroes in a salvation by works scenario. There are only victims, and there are only villains. Because in a salvation by works, I'm working my way, but I'm being held back by the man. I'm being oppressed. I can't help it. I'm a victim. Or... I'm actually making some progress in my work. I've now got some power and I'm dominating. And my job as a villain is to make sure everybody else is doing what I want you to do. See, the victim, uh, the villain and a hero in any story, actually, this is something else Don says, have a very similar story. They have 
a backstory. It involves pain. It involves injustice. And as the, the, uh, the villain rises up, he takes that pain and he turns it into making sure everyone else pays for it. He makes sure that as a hurt person, he hurts people. The hero hears that pain, feels that pain, and he uses it for something good. He allows that pain to turn to passion and to save people. When Jesus went to the cross, we refer to it as the passion of the Christ. He allowed the pain and the suffering that he experienced on the cross that we should have, not to turn him into a villain, but to turn him into a hero. But in Salvation by Works, there are no heroes or just us, just villains, just victims. But in the story of salvation by grace, which is the true story, it's the story that Jesus is inviting all of us to live into. Jesus is the hero of that story. And that righteousness by faith tells us that you and I can now live in something called sozo. Now in the 80s, when you got saved, when I got saved, well, maybe not 80s for all of us, some of y'all were born in the 1900s, okay? But I lived in the 1900s. Don't think for a second that I didn't have some pleated Z Cavariccis and a vest. Oh, yeah, I rocked the vest. But the keyboard would play the Yamaha DX7, and the altar call would come. And to me, salvation simply meant I don't want to go to hell. Pretty easy sell when you think about it. Salvation spoken of here is, yes, eternity. It is not less than eternity. But it is more than that. Because the word sozo speaks of healing. It speaks of fullness of life. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's the story that he has invited you and I into. But you and I cannot live in that story just because we want to. I mean, how many of you, like, if you're thinking about the story that you're going to choose, one of the problems you hear, I think anyway, when you hear from some counselors and therapists and some authors and some thinkers, is there's this idea that if there's all these stories out there and I just need to choose the one that works best to me. This one fits me and I'll, st I'll step into this story. But the best story isn't the one that works for you. The best story is the true story. In fact, I would suggest to you that's the only story because it's true. And salvation by works is not true. But the true story is one of Jesus ascending, descending first, right? And then ascending to us so that we wouldn't have to. The true story is Jesus is the hero that stepped into it. Jesus is the absolute hero of it all. And when it goes on in like our, uh, our role into that whole thing, consequently, faith comes by hearing the message. And the message, this is verse 17, is heard through the word about Christ. Our job is to hear that message, to believe it, to shake away. And on any given day, I wake up and I want to slip right back into saved by works. And Jesus is inviting me into saved by faith. And when I started out, I was telling you the story of a lion in a cage. And the idea and the imagery behind that is very simple. The story of righteousness by works is just a cage. And for a lot of us, that cage works really well. 
But at the moment of salvation, Jesus' promise was that he would come and he would unlock that cage. And some of us, like we stay in the cage because it's comfortable, because it's safe. See, my story, the false story, right, is salvation by works, is righteousness by works. The true story is righteousness by faith. And how that affects your story and my story. Like, I don't know what yours was, is, but if you're a man, I would guess it's some version of this. I'm a fraud. I, if they know who I really am, they would walk away from me. If, if they understood, and I remember this clearly when I was a young man at 24, 3 years old, the first panic attack I ever had, I didn't know what it was. I'm driving down the road in Atlanta, Georgia going, I think I'm about to pass out. What's wrong with me? It was embarrassing. I didn't tell anybody. I told my wife, but I'm like, ah, we're doing, I'm thinking maybe it's the aspartame in my coffee because Pat Robertson said something about aspartame. I mean, I was, de- that's how desperate I was. I was taking medical advice from Pat Robertson. What I didn't know until later in life was that when I first sat down in that chair to start being a booking agent, I was so scared that they would figure out who I really was. Because here's who I really was. I was a 24-year-old kid that ain't never been nowhere. I was a 10-year-old white trash kid who had nothing. Nobody was coming for me. And if I figured that they figured it out, then I was out of here. They would reject me. And so what did I do? I pretended. I just beat the crap out of the phones. I was just working hard. I just, and when I made mistakes, I, I swept them under the rug because I didn't want them to know. I didn't want them to find out. And when you live that way, that's not freedom. That's a cage. That's a story that is not the gospel. It's the opposite. And by the way, the vast majority of men live in some version of that story. I don't want them to find out that I'm a fraud. Most women, again, broad sweeping statement, is a story of I want to know that I'm valued, that I am worth pursuing, that I am special. That I, and and you know, the, the heart of a female, that becomes your story of, and you begin to order your life around that. You begin to pretend, you begin to posture, you begin to reach out and to try to make somebody chase you. Or you begin to settle for somebody who chased you that you didn't want to chase you, but you settled because at least they chased you. There's a thousand ways that it plays out, but it starts with that, that you're not special, that you're not valuable. Neither of those are gospel stories. Those are stories from the pit of hell. And so when I share with you this gospel story, understand that this is not... All the therapists, great, congratulations. But without the gospel, you've given somebody a life hack. You've not given them transformation. And here is what transformation is saying. The last few verses... I'll just read the last one for our time. Verse 20, Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. Found by those who did not seek me. 
as a man who feels like that you are a fraud, that nobody is coming for you, that story is a lie. Because the God of the universe made the entire nation of Israel angry because he came for you even though you didn't seek him. You were no more on your own than Jesus. Jesus, the son of God, because now you in the family of God, he came for you. The story's not true. And if you could take that into your heart and allow that gospel moment to sink in, that those moments of I'm just scrambling, I'm trying to posture, I'm trying to just, you know what? Forget all of that. He came for me. What else do I care if I lose my job? Whatever. He came for me. And he goes on to say that, and I revealed myself to those who did not ask me. He you didn't ask, but he revealed. And what is it something really in the heart of a woman most that they want is to see their husband, for their husband to see them, to be revealed. And in those places when you're not being seen by your husband or seen by your loved ones, know this, that the God of the universe revealed himself to you. He sees you. You see him. The story that you've been living in is a lie. I don't say that with an ounce of shame. I'm proclaiming it with the hope that you'll hear it today and allow that to become true. And the next time those feelings are popping up, the next time those thoughts are spinning around, let that be the words that you preach to yourself. I love what David did when he goes on, like, why so downcast my soul? Exalt the Lord. Like he preaches the gospel to himself. And that's been a lost art in our world of preaching the gospel to ourselves. Now I'm going to say this and then we're going to be done because this is very, very, very important and I don't want to miss it. There are a lot of stories floating around out there that you can choose. There's the story of, oh, if I can just manifest and be positive, then this is going to happen to me. That's just a more expensive cage. There's the story that if I do this work and I, and I really go through years and years of that counseling and therapy, then I will finally arrive somewhere to find this healing that's just another expensive cage. Somebody, and I, I don't know if this is the spirit of the Lord, but you're thinking today, maybe I should, I'm thinking maybe I need to get out of this marriage. I need to trade her in for a, a new model. And all you're doing is trading for another cage because you're not changing your story, you're just changing your situation in the cage. The gospel does not allow for you to work your way up or allow for you to work your way down. It simply says if you will believe, then you're going to experience sozo. If you will keep coming back to this and believing this, then you will experience sozo. And what is he asking you to believe? What is the word of faith that is near you? That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that if you believe in your heart that Christ right, was raised, God raised Christ from the dead, not you but him, then you will receive the sozo. You don't get it any other way. There's not a hundred stories and I'm just picking the one spinning the wheel. This is the only one. This is the only story. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And I want to pray for you now and I'm going to pray for two types of people. 
Some of you in here today are in the cage and you have never had the king of kings come and unlock that cage to let you out. The, the, the moment where Christ steps in and you trust him, you've not had that moment yet. I want you to have that opportunity right now. How do we do that? If you believe, if you say with your mouth, you believe in your heart. You're... There's another group of people where Jesus has come and he unlocked that cage for you and you're still sitting in it. Sometimes I come home and our dog, uh, Beryonce, she's a diva and she looks like a bear. Anyway, it's a long story. Uh, we'll be sitting in her kennel completely unlocked because she likes it in there, thinks it's safe. There are cages in here of a story that you're believing that's locking you in, but it's worked for you in some weird way, but I want you to know that it's, it's, you're living, but you're not alive. And Jesus really wants you to step out of that cage and into the abundant life that he has for you. Is it safe out there? No, but it's good. <laughs> I love those final scenes in Chronicles of Narnia. Is he safe? Of course he's not safe but he's good and he's the king. How dare we sit in a cage that he unlocked? What kind of fear is doing that? How much longer will you let fear steal the abundant life from you, the sozo that he's given? Will you do it another day? How many more days, how many more minutes? I invite you today to step out of that today into the abundant life that he offered. So I wanna pray for you. And for those of you that this is the first time you're ever going to pray this, I'm going to pray over you, but where you're sitting, you want Jesus to come unlock that thing? You just where you are, quietly pray out, cry out to Jesus. Come, Jesus, be in me. I believe it. I'm following you. Use your words. The good news is there is no quote-unquote right or wrong prayer. Jesus is right there sweetening up that prayer for you. And as I'm praying for those of you that are in the cage still that is Jesus unlocked, I want you to take a step out of that cage today by just saying today I'm going to walk out and the next time I get, I, my temperature's rising and I want to get angry at something, what lie am I believing that is not the gospel? Go back to the gospel and what lie am I losing by allowing that thing to put me back in that cage? Heavenly Father, would you give those words of wisdom from this word to our lives today? You didn't create us to live in the cage of a false story. You created us to live in the freedom that you came. I, you came that, Lord, that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly. It was for freedom that you set us free. Lord, I pray today that for those that, for the first time, that, that you are like knocking on the door of their heart, they're opening it up, and you're allowing, they're allowing you, giving you the keys and letting them out today. Lord, oh, pray that they would just say yes to you and say yes to that today, to the sozo that you promised him. And for those of us that we've already been saved and are safe in your hands, that we would take that step out of the cage today of that false story and step only into the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.